Sunday of the month, and that means I talk about my own spiritual growth plans and tensions for each month. I like to do this every month publicly because it kind of holds me accountable. Puts a little bit of a fire under my butt to make sure I actually follow through with this instead of just hiding it in secret. I believe to grow as a Christian, you need to be focusing on at least four areas of growth. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I've taken those four things, and I, at the start of every month, I set a bit of a goal. It might be a very, very ambitious goal. It might be a very small goal, but I set a goal in those areas. And I believe that's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship isn't just going through life, hoping growth happens, going through life. God has permission to do something in my life if he wants, but I'm kind of living my life, so he's just going to have to kind of interfere and get my attention. A disciple is starting their day, starting their week, starting their month, and every day going through that day as, as best they know how, saying, God, how do I glorify you? How do I learn to live for you? So this is what I'm doing for this month. These are kind of my focus points. The first is uh, reconvening our small group in Rosemont. Small groups, much of them are going to be starting up again in January. If you're not connected to a small group, if you'd like to be, whether you're new or you've been maybe resistant to the idea, but you're willing to try something out, out maybe for the next few months, uh, please contact me. My email is jeff at ecov.org. My contact information is in the bulletin. And just say, I'm kind of interested in being involved in a small group. Here's when I'm available. Can you help me get connected? And that's important for us to do, and we want to do that. So that's my heart goal. Get our group back up and running. Soul, I'm going to be praying through the Psalms every day this month. Uh, sometimes I get in a rut in my prayer life, and so I... Uh, I'm trying to learn to pray through the Psalms, actually use the Psalms as a, as a template for prayer, sometimes literally praying the Psalm as it's written or using it as a jumping off point. But I found that really, really uh, helpful. I did it about a year or two ago, and I, I'm going to do that again this month. I'm also going to try and power through four books um, this month, at least one book a week. And then strength, this is kind of a meta call. I kind of look at took an inventory of how I go about organizing my life, doing things, executing what are what are should be priorities for me and i purchased a book and read it on new year's day called do more better by tim chalice it's a, quite a short ebook but it's excellent very very practical so i'm kind of using his system of personal organization in order to do more better not just do more stuff but do more good glorifying god bringing good and blessing to other people and so that's kind of my strength goal is to kind of just reconfigure how I go about doing things so that I'm actually serving and giving and spending my energies uh, in, in, in better ways, in wiser ways, and making sure that the first things in my life and the things that I say are actually a priority are being prioritized. And so those are my, those are my goals. I have a problem when it comes to teaching and preaching, and that is I have a thousand ideas of what I'd like to do in a limited, I only have like 52 weeks a year, um, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not a lot. Uh, I, I, once done, I, I once worked on all the series that I'd like to do within the first three years of being here at Nelson, and I wrote down nine years worth of series. And I was just like, oh, and that was before I even got any new ideas. That was just like static, uh, or starting point. So in 2016, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to continue through the Gospel of Mark for most of the time because I found that really, really helpful to anchor in a Gospel, to, to steep in a Gospel uh, consistently. But I'm going to take the first Sunday, the Communion Sunday of every month, and I'm going to do something that I would call a bit more 
kind of directly applied Christianity, kind of how-to of the Christian life, or tackle a really pressing issue in a one-off message. Uh, sometimes when I'm going through series, I'm like, I don't have any space to do these things over here, but sometimes I don't want to all just do topical stuff and, and do um, you know, applied theology s- series because I want to be s- making sure we're grounded in the narrative of Scripture and we're grounded in you know, Gospels like Mark. So I'm going to try for 2016, first Sunday of every month, kind of applied theology. All theology is applied, but I'm just meaning that in the, in the more practical sense of the first Sunday of every month is going to be something that you can kind of, it's going to have a basket with handles that you're kind of like, oh, okay, I see where this is going, and gives you some momentum for the month. And I think January is a really important month to get a grip on Scripture. I know a lot of Christians move into January with a renewed reading plan or out of guilt or duty. They're like, I guess I should probably, um, yeah, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. So you kind of stumble out of the gate with it. But it's kind of on everybody's mind. I see it on Facebook. I see it in social media. I see it in websites that I peruse. That is in the airspace. And so I want to talk about why it's important. I want to give you 10 reasons why it's critical to grapple with the Bible in 2016, but how to actually do it. I want to give you a plan, a little uh, list of ingredients that you can put together in a way that works for you so that you can say, oh, I actually know how to do it, and I'm going to try it this month for the month of January. Um, in your handouts, there's, there's two green um, handout sheets that you might have gotten in your... Oh, I think Shirley has one. I think, I think, and then Miriam has one. There's only two of them. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what those are, those are like extra little New Year's. Yeah, no, white doesn't count. It has to be, it has to be green. Sorry, yeah, everyone has sermon notes if you had a, if you got a bulletin, but some people have bright green sermon notes. That's what I was trying to say, sorry. If you have a bright green sermon note, if you fill out that sermon note, um, in terms of the 10 things that are on there, and bring it up to me after the service, I will buy you Timothy Keller's new book that he wrote with his wife on that is a daily devotional through the Psalms, through all of 365 uh, small little devotionals. I started reading it on January 1st. It is excellent. Um, so if, you've nev- if you want to go through the book of Psalms, if you're interested in giving that, you could take it and say, not going to read it. I'm going to give it to someone else as a gift. That's totally fine. I just want to get that book into someone's hands. So if you've got a green sermon note thing, fill that out and bring it to me after the service. Okay, in the Old Testament, there's this really weird, cool story. In Genesis chapter 32, there's this guy named Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham's grandson. And it's a story about him wrestling with God. And he's, um, God comes to him in a human form. It's kind of a a, a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. And he's grappling with the Almighty. And and Jacob is pretty good. He he actually wears down the Almighty. He brings um, God to the point where God kind of touches his hip and injures Jacob. But Jacob continues to grapple. He's wrestling with God. And God's like, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. He's just determined to to extract this blessing from God. And God says, what is your name? God knows his name, but he wants him to voice it out. And Jacob says, it's it's Jacob. 
And then in Genesis 32, verses 28, God says, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Israel, in Hebrew, means wrestled with God. That's what the word means in its most literal sense. And that story of Jacob's name being changed to Israel becomes totally formative in terms of how Israel understands their relationship with God, the the people of Israel that come from the line of Israel. It becomes the starting point of understanding part of their core identity. To be God's people is to be a people that wrestle with God. They don't have a casual relationship with God. You are up close and personal. You are in God's face. You're grappling with God. And to grapple with God and to not give up until God blesses you. So it's to have this fiery, passionate, I will not let go of God until he blesses me. I know God is good and I want to know God deeper. And I'm just going to press into this thing seriously. So this fierce passion came to shape um, the Jewish people's entire engagement with, with their text. So for Israel... And then for the New Testament church, their understanding of themselves, first as Israel, and then as Christians, as the new Israel of God, wrestling with the Bible, really grappling with what it says, and digging into it, and meditating on it, and chewing it over, and memorizing it, it was a holy obligation, and it was a sacred calling. But it was something that people were passionate about. You didn't have to get to January 1 and say, do you want to start a new Bible reading plan? It's really good to do that. Okay, I will, right before I go to bed. They loved to wrestle with God through wrestling with his text. I, I love wrestling with my kids. Uh, we just put a, an old mattress of ours downstairs in the basement, and now we have, like, prime wrestling space. And we do, I do lots of things with my kids, lots of outdoor stuff, but we each see a different side of each other when we're wrestling together. That, that brings out something in me, and it brings out something... Uh, even in my littlest Avery, she's fierce. And, and you see the look in her eyes, and when we start wrestling, when we start getting up close, and we start grappling, I don't know, it's, it's very intimate, and it's personal. And we bond in a way, I believe, wrestling, that to this point, I haven't seen us bond in any other way. That, that is a huge way that I bond with my kids. And today, I want to inspire us to consider what it would look like for you to wrestle with Scripture this year to wrestle with God as you wrestle with his word and why you should do that. In the same way that I think for me and my kids, there's a unique kind of intimacy and connection that happens when we're getting down with each other. And you know, I'm literally feeling, like when, when we're wrestling and, and my kids are pushing back and I'm suplexing them, and I'm headlocking them, pretty much winning all the time. But, <laughs> you, know, but I, you, know, you feel you feel their weight, right? Like in a different way, like they're pushing and you feel the weight. Remember the, the Hebrew word for weight also means glory. It's like you, you feel the glory of the person. It's got like, oh, this is like, this is such a substantial human being. This is so cool. And, you, and, and I'm like, that's what I want my relationship to God be like, to, to be like. That was Israel's vision for their relationship with God. It wasn't just a casual, passive thing. It was active and it was fiery. And it had, um, th- there was a certain kinetic energy to it. We don't just read the Bible. We, we wrestle with it. We wrestle with God. So I want to inspire us today 
so that when we, we leave this place, the prayer of our heart, our, you know, our, our, our prayerful demand of God will be, this year I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm, I'm going to wrestle with you, God. Okay, first of all, what is the Bible? Here's Christianity 101, super, super important. What is the actual Bible? Why, why would you spend so much time and energy even trying to wrestle with this thing? There's lots of good books. There's lots of interesting books. There's lots of sources of wisdom in the world. There's lots of important uh, people that you could be talking to or learning from. Why should you prioritize this? In a second letter to a young church leader, Paul writes these words. He says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Three things I want you to notice there. There's a lot here, just three things. Number one, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. Meaning, yes, there's wisdom in other places. Yes, you can learn from lots of different sources. But this is a special kind of revelation. This isn't a collection of human ideas about what God might be like. It's not bottom-up, it's top-down. It's God revealing himself to us. It is God-breathed. There's no other book like the Bible. I'm not a person who believes in the plurality of other religious texts. I believe there, are, there is um, wisdom in other texts, uh, in other religions. I think there's things we can uh, learn from other religions. But I don't believe that all of any other religious text is inspired and it shows the revealed word and will of God. I think the Bible stands alone in that category. All scripture is God-breathed, not just some of it, all of it. Number two, the Bible is useful. The Bible isn't a book of abstract ideas on questions that are kind of, if you have extra time in your hands, you can kind of think about it, but it's kind of, kind of ivory tower stuff. The Bible is designed to be imminently useful. It's useful to teach us who God is, who we are, how we're supposed to live, to rebuke us, to challenge us, to say the way that you're living, even though it seems right to you, is not right. So it rebukes us. It's for correcting. It's for saying, that's a good try. Kind of see where you're going, but this is actually the way that you more effectively love your neighbor. This is, you think you have to go in this direction, but you, the direction you actually have to move towards is forgiveness, not retaliation. And for training in righteousness. When we read the Bible, it actually trains us to live into a greater level of holiness. And holiness, again, isn't just not doing bad things. Holiness is also the presence of, and learning to, the presence of good things, and learning to live in a way that brings blessing into other people's lives, that glorifies God and does good for people. The Bible is something that provides practical illumination and guidance. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. That's very, very useful. The Bible, one of the metaphors the Bible says is, without God's word, without God in our lives, we walk in darkness. It's possible to walk in darkness. It's just a lot more dangerous. And your propensity to get lost or to stumble over so something and hurt yourself or to just make very slow progress, it just increases. So the Bible is like a light. It's like a miner's lamp that when you turn it on, you're like, oh, now I see the lay of the land. This is helpful. I actually know how to navigate. Oh, there's something I need to avoid. Here's the way to go. I can look 30, 100 feet ahead. I don't need to just be looking down and, and kind of carefully going through it and living out of fear or anxiety because I can't see properly. And number three, the Bible equips us for what matters most. The Bible has the most, doesn't have all the information on everything, it, but it has the best information on the most important topics. And the Bible equips us so that we as the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible doesn't just say, 
this is what you should do, good luck, and then leave us, it actually, God, through His Spirit, working through the Word, equips us, gives us new tools through which to live. New mindsets, new heart orientations, new, imag- new imaginations, new possibilities, and ver- new practical tools. What does it look like? How, how do I move toward greater generosity? How do I, how do I cultivate uh, a heart of mercy towards uh, my enemies? The Bible will actually equip you for those things, the things that actually matter most. So that's kind of what is the Bible overview. And here are 10 really quick reasons that I think you should be grappling with the Bible in 2016. If only one of these sparks you enough to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something, great. You might not need all 10, but I'm going to give you 10. This isn't a top 10. I had to pare this list down from 24, then I got to 16, then I got to 13. The last three cuts were really tough. This is not in any particular order, but for me, in thinking and praying about it, I thought, there are 10 reasons that, for me, I would put in front of you and say, there's got to be something here that will spur you to challenge yourself to read Scripture and to really grapple with it. Okay, number one, to learn firsthand what it says. The amount of people who reject Christianity because... They saw a comment on YouTube. They heard a comment from a friend of a friend. Well, I'm pretty sure doesn't the Bible say that we should hate these people or all this stuff? It, it's it's mind-blowing. It breaks my heart, and I'm just like, please just read the Bible. Just, like, read it. And the amount of Christians who I sometimes meet, like, I'm pretty, doesn't the Bible say that somewhere, like, in Second Hesitations, God helps those who help themselves? And you're like, oh, my goodness. You're like, just just read. It's so important, especially, especially if you're a teenager or young adult from a Christian home, you've kind of been saturated in all this stuff. You can kind of just get into a lifestyle where you're just kind of coasting and living secondhand off the investment that your parents or your grandparents made. You can't do that. You have to take this on yourself. You have to grapple with the text. Your parents can't grapple with the text on your behalf for you. And you, this is something you have to do. We all have to learn what the Bible says firsthand. And we'll deepen our faith when we do that. So that's number one. Uh, oh, sorry, Acts 17. There's, there's a group of people in the New Testament that do this. They're called the Bereans. They listen to Paul preach, and then they wouldn't just say, wow, he's really eloquent. He's super smart. They, yeah. They were like, he's eloquent. He's super smart. I wonder if what he says actually lines up with what God's revealed word is. Because Paul isn't giving specific re- revelation. He's commenting, he, he's, he's commenting on it. So we're going to go back and investigate and make sure that we are li- he's lined up with what this says. Because this is our authority, not, not Paul, no teacher. Th- this is our authority. Number two, the Bible will set you free from the power of sin. In John 8, uh, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, and the word continue means if you walk in my word, which is a, d- a Jewish way of saying obedience. If you listen to me and obey what I'm saying... You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I love using this verse because no one ever quotes verse 31. They just go right to verse 32. Doesn't say in the Bible, like, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, as if truth, just by knowing it, will set you free. That's not what Jesus said. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciple. If you obey me, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom doesn't come from getting the right ideas or having your theological boxes all ticked. Um, There there are many truths that we can't know until we start obeying them. You obey Jesus, then you're like, oh, now 
the truth, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm seeing it. God's making it clear to me. And now I'm walking in greater freedom. And as we get into the Bible and begin obeying what it says, more seriously, the power of sin, that which corrupts and poisons every dimension of our lives, will begin to loosen. Number three, the Bible will give us God's perspective. In Isaiah 55, pretty famous verse, God says to Israel, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My my ways aren't your ways. You can't just assume because it seems right to you and this is the way that I would do things and this is my train of thought that that's what the thoughts of the Almighty are. That would be the worst type of projection. Well, if there is a God, he must think like me. No, my ways are not your ways. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, he throws up the question, who's known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And the answer would have been before Jesus, well, no one. God, God's ways are known to him alone. But Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. See, we've dwelled in the gospel. We've soaked in the teachings of the apostles, which, which we have now as the gospels and the, and the early Christian letters that form the New Testament. And now we are learning to see things from a God's eye point of view. And that's having all kinds of domino effects, all of them positive and interesting. But it's giving us God's perspective. I'm no longer limited by my own self-centered, sinful, myopic perception of reality. Number four, the Bible will make you wise. Proverbs begin by saying, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. When you read the Bible, when you grapple with it, you will form, over time, a really robust, a really rich theological and philosophical worldview. You will have a worldview, I would argue, that is more sophisticated than anything else a non-Christian worldview can offer. I was reading an article, it wasn't a great article, but it was an interesting article from a site called Brain Pickings, and it was a review of a book by a bunch of scholars, some of them biblical, who are kind of like, we don't believe the Bible is actually the word of God, it's just like a human book, but we do believe that reading the Bible is very important for people living in the West, and they were kind of arguing, you can't actually be, a, a culturally speaking, even a wise person without reading the Bible. So their premises were very, very flawed in the sense that they were kind of immediately dismissing the authority of Scripture out of the gate, but I thought it was interesting that even these, some of these hardened atheists were saying, you know what, Atheists are all about, like, don't read the Bible, it's garbage. But these guys were saying, that's not true. If you actually want to become wise and have a robust theological or robust worldview and be exposed to really interesting genres and writings and questions, the Bible's a really important place to start. You've got to know this book. C.S. Lewis said, God is not, f- is not fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other kind of slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, that you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. But fortunately, it works the other way around. Anyone who is honestly trying to be a Christian will soon find his intelligence being sharpened. One of the reasons why it needs no special education to be a Christian is that Christianity is an education itself. That is why an uneducated believer like John Bunyan was able to write the book Pilgrim's Progress, a book which has astonished the world ever since. Number five, The Bible is living and active. You don't just read it, it reads you. You don't just grapple with it, it fights back, it grapples back. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Number six, the Bible will give you hope. Not wishful thinking kind of cultural sense of hope, 
a firm, secure conviction that you are moving towards a future that is good. Romans 15.4 says, For everything that was written in the past, speaking of Israel's journey in the Old Testament, all of those things were written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. A lot of people in 2016 uh, want this year to be one that has more hope, especially coming out of some of the darkness that we experienced in 2015. And the Bible says, reflecting on Israel's journey in the scriptures will seed all kinds of new hope in you. Number seven, reading the Bible will lead you to salvation. Jesus says in John chapter 20, uh, or sorry, John in closing his gospel says of Jesus that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that, that aren't recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The entire biblical witness of what has applications to all these different parts of life, the center movement, the, the, kind of the, the superhighway is always moving towards Jesus and it's pointing you towards Jesus. And um, it's so important to grapple with the text because I believe if you do honestly and openly, it will lead you to Jesus. And that means if you're not a Christian, you will be confronted with the glory and grandeur of Jesus and I hope that you will surrender to him. And if you are a Christian, you will be reminded in new ways of his glory and grandeur. And you will want to live for him and make, to take greater risks for him and make bigger sacrifices for him. But it starts with digging into Scripture. Number eight, the Bible will deepen your intimacy with God. Jesus prayed for the church looking forward, and he said, God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is this word that means move them towards spiritual growth, towards holiness. The movement away from the power and penalty of sin into God's new life is called sanctification. It's a process through which we grow and become like Christ. As we do that, we have intimacy with God. We don't just get equipped for life and, 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 and uh, kind of live life on our own. We learn to walk with God with a kind of intimacy that was not available to us before. Number nine, the Bible will help you learn from other people's mistakes. And this is a huge one. The Bible will keep you, if you read it, and if you're wrestling with it, it will keep you from a huge amount of stupidity and error. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, these things happened to them. He was talking about Israel in the Old Testament, the historical narrative books, the Torah and the, and the historical books. He says, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. You can learn from making bad mistakes. You can learn, and there's redemption and restoration from making stupid, selfish, God-denying, God-resisting choices in your own life, in your marriage, relationships, with what you do with your body and sexuality, with uh, substance abuse. You can make mistakes, and there can still be restoration. But it is a far wiser thing to say, I wonder... If I could learn from people who've already made those mistakes, the biggest kinds of mistakes, so that instead of throwing my life into chaos because, of, because a certain idol has taken root in my life, let me study Israel's journey and their struggle with idolatry and how they got out of idolatry, what caused them to get involved in idolatry in the first place, and then God, through their example, 
can save me a huge amount of heartache and hurt. And lastly, the Bible will help you become effective and successful. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel, which is a very superficial understanding of the Bible, that the Bible is a book that is basically how to make, how to make you rich and healthy and wealthy and wise, kind of quick, easy tips and tricks, and that God just wants to uh, lavish you with all kinds of materialistic prosperity and success and take all forms of suffering and pain out of your life immediately. I do not believe, I, th- I think that's a false gospel. But the Bible does make it clear that God wants to prosper his people holistically and rightly understood. And he wants us to live effectively. God doesn't want us to live our lives spinning, spinning our wheels and, and, and stuck. God wants to see momentum and progress for his glory and for the good of the world. Psalm 1, the first psalm starts this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or seat, sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Meditating, a he- word in Hebrew means, it, it refers to kind of an animal chewing its cud. It, it's, it's mulling over it. It's just going over it again and again. And, 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 and again, I would say this one, it's like wrestling with it. Instead of just reading it and saying, oh, that was nice. It's, it's somehow going at it. That person, the person who does this, is like a tree planted by streams of water, That might not mean much to us if you live in a desert region. That's incredibly important. You don't want to be a tree away from water in the desert. You want to be a tree that's by waterways in the desert. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. There's just a genuine sense of growth and momentum and prosperity to their life. And the Bible says... If you meditate on the law of the Lord, the instructions of God, the word of the Lord, day and night, and learn what that means, and take the next steps of faithfulness in that area, you will live a more effective life. You will be a more successful person, holistically speaking. So there are ten reasons to grapple with the text this year. I'm gonna, here, here's how to do it. Some of you are like, I know how to read my Bible. I have a devotional structure. This is not, it's not rocket science. I've been doing this since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. That's fine. This is how to wrestle with God if you have no idea really honestly what to do. Or if you just need a real basic kind of starting point because you've fallen off the discipline. You've, you've kind of derailed in that area. So I would say the first step is just pick a challenging reading plan. In your sermon outline notes, there's a bunch of links there and each link has at least 10 reading plans some of them have 30 some of them are read the bible in chronological order some are just read through the whole thing start to finish some are alternate between a god don't don't overthink like i wonder which reading plan is the best any plan will do just get in there and start wrestling pick a plan but pick a plan that's challenging for you for some people reading one chapter of the bible a day honestly that will be challenging for you that's totally okay just reading a devotion, like a short section of a chapter a day, that might be challenging for you. For others, that's not challenging. It's not really going to feel like wrestling to do something that easy. So where you are, pick something that feels like a little, little, little bit more challenging, a little, little tougher. With my daughter Lauren, she's now 11, I said, I want you to read through the whole Bible this year. 
So we're reading about three to four chapters a day together. That's challenging for her. She's a good reader. She's a strong reader. I couldn't do that for the rest of my kids, but I can do it with her. So we're just doing something that's a little bit challenging. Pick a time and a place. Some people think a consistent time and place really helps them. If you don't need that, that's fine. But a lot of people say, you know, seven in the morning or uh, during dinner time or before I go to bed. Doesn't matter. Pick a place. And then mix up any of these ingredients. You need to take time to pray. You need to take time to praise God. You need to take time to read the passage and then ponder. And those are the four ingredients that you need to do probably at a minimal level and just mix those up in whatever way you want. You could pray, then read the scripture, then pray, then read it again, then pray, then ponder, listen for impressions, journal, or just sit there and, and then pray and then, and then praise God and you get done. You could start your time with praising God, put on a worship CD, sing a song or two to God, then read a scripture, then spend time praying about it, and then pondering. doesn't matter. Those are the ingredients. Mix it up. I need variety in my devotional life, otherwise I get stuck in a rut. So you take these ingredients and maybe every day mix them up or every week mix them up or every month mix them up, but these are kind of the, the building blocks of kind of creating momentum in your devotional life with God. And then the fourth step is really, really important. Out of that pondering, out of that reading, take action. Some, this will be hard with some scriptures. Some scriptures and, and some chapters you're going to say, I don't really know the application of this directly. That's okay. But in a lot of cases, God's probably going to put it on your heart. It might be just a little impression. Might might be very, very clear. You know, mourn with those who mourn, Paul writes. And you're going to say, what would it look like for me to come alongside someone who's hurting in my life right now? What could I do? One little thing. Make a meal, write a card, uh, call someone on the phone. But you're going to take action on it. Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, not just if you read it and are kind of like, that's neat. I just like downloaded more information. Jesus says, when you exercise your faith by reading and then applying it, even if you apply it very imperfectly, God is still going to honor that. God will honor and bless little baby steps you take in these areas. The Bible is unlike any other book. And my passion is to... Is to, ma- is to make disciples, to be a disciple myself and to make disciples. And I don't know what discipleship looks like without a pretty fierce engagement with this book. I, I just don't know. I've never seen an expression of Christianity that goes light on this and is heavy on everything else even that bears a lot of fruit. That, that's just my experience. I want us to be people that are wrestling with this text. I want us to be people who are learning to get up close and personal with God and praising him, crying out to him, um, learning from him how to live, learning from him how to process all the emotions and ups and downs of life, and in the process saying, I'm sensing God's weight. Like this, yeah, this is like a real relationship. This isn't just an idea anymore. This is becoming real to me. That's what I want for us. Do you guys want that? Yeah. Okay, so take that step this week. If you fall off the wagon, if you get two or three weeks out and you're like, oh, I'm not keeping up with my reading plan, let it go, just start again. Keep going, just keep going. God will honor even imperfect steps in an attempt to obey him. If you need extra help or if you're looking for more resources beyond what I provided, please email me. There's nothing more important than helping you get into scripture and learning to Um, take in all the blessings that comes from that. So please, please email me, call me, 
um, grab me at, at lunch today and say, I don't know where to start. Jeff, you pick for me, like, like roulette. You just pick a book, and I'm going to start there and start reading. And, and, and then and go for it. Just go for it. Let's make 2016 a year where we are wrestling with God and um, not just we're experiencing the blessings that come from that, but this community is experiencing the blessings that overflow from that. Let's pray. God, put a fire in our hearts to not be a people that are just casual in our relationship with you. Deepen our walk with you by teaching us to grapple with you, to wrestle with you. And may the prayer of our heart, and may the demand, God, the righteous demand be, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And yet, God, you're a God who loves to bless. So as we dig into your word this year, um, may you encourage those who need encouragement. May you challenge those who need challenge. May you rebuke those who need rebuke. May you uh, put new hope in those who need hope. And God, ultimately, will you continue to point us all towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.